Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is Good Humans Podcast with me, Cooper Chapman, chatting to the world's best about the inspiring stories that got them to where they are today. A big hello to all of you good humans out there and welcome to guest episode number 65 of Good Humans Podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in today. It's great to have you here. If it's your first time, a very warm welcome. Please hit subscribe and follow once you're finished. And if you enjoy the episode, make sure you hit five stars. If you keep coming back, thank you so much. I love this community of people who are coming with me on a journey of growth and just trying to become the best good humans we can be. So thanks so much to everyone tuning in. If you're enjoying the podcast and you like this sort of stuff that I do put out, make sure you head over to thegoodhumanfactory.com. I run mental health workshops for corporate groups and also high school students. I love doing these workshops. They've been so well received by over 15,000 students this year and close to 2,500 corporates. So please get in contact. There's an inquiry form over on the website. Also, our merchandise is very quickly selling out, so make sure you head over to thegoodhumanfactory.com, use the code PODCAST, and you get 25% off all of our merch. I love you all so much for supporting my vision of making the world a little bit more mentally healthy, and yeah, hopefully this podcast and this episode can inspire you to make some positive, positive choices in your life. Today's episode is a very special one. A good friend of mine, a guy by the name of Josh Woody, and I met him at the Alex Chumpy Pullen Foundation Gala, who's my sister's best friend's partner who passed away, an Australian Olympic snowboarder, flag bearer for Australia, um, who passed away. And at his uh, gala dinner, I was sitting next to Josh and we got talking a little bit about his story. He got up and spoke at the gala and he just has a really, really powerful way of storytelling and has been through some extremely difficult times in his life he broke his neck in a snowboard accident i'm not going to say much more about it because obviously that's what this whole episode is about the journey the recovery and yeah overcoming those mental battles that come with such a life-altering injury i will for mention there is mentions of suicidal thoughts and suicide in this episode so if you are struggling and it's not the time for you to listen right now please keep that in mind um if you are struggling please call lifeline on 13 11 14 but yeah this episode is a really special one to me josh came up to the gold coast a few weeks back and we were lucky enough to spend a day together or a couple days together actually hanging out with Josh and his son AJ who is a new little good good little human ambassador which we're going to announce a bit more about this coming up over the next few weeks so if you're enjoying the episode please share it with someone I know this episode was a really special one for me so I appreciate you getting this one far and wide so let's jump straight into it welcome to good humans podcast Josh Woody how you going mate Good. It's been a minute since I've done anything like this, so it'll be interesting. <laughs> oh, I'm excited to tell you a story. It's been it's been a cool friendship that we've kind of created the last few months. We met at 
um, a dear friend of both of ours, Alex Pullen's foundation gala dinner. We just by chance got sat next to each other. And I love these encounters where they're just completely by chance and then you create a friendship from it. Like we could have sat next to anybody at that dinner and we probably wouldn't be sitting here today if it wasn't for yeah. where we got sat. So very grateful for that. And yeah, your story is going to touch so many. So maybe to tell the listeners kind of snapshot, who are you and what do you do? Um, well, I'm Josh Wood. I, my whole, my backstory was I grew up on the, the coast of in Melbourne called Frankston. It sounds nice, but it's, <laughs> if you know Frankston, it's not the best. But anyway, it's good now. Um, and then I grew up in the country. So most of my background, I was never really good at normal sports. So most of my sports were like motorbikes or BMX based or snow based. Um, and then, yeah, so up to now, I recently just left my um, full-time job to try and become more of a full-time dad. So just, you know, things are important like that for me and time's very, uh, very short and they're adults longer than they are kids. So I don't want to make sure I waste that time with him. Yeah, it's been really cool the last couple of weeks getting to share some nice conversations with you around your son, AJ, and the way and the life that you want to give him based on, the opportunities that you had and that were ripped away from you that we will chat to you about in this story because it's um a story of resilience like it's so powerful your story and i can't wait to share it with people so i guess to open the conversation what's one thing you're grateful for oh definitely my son yeah that's the first and probably one of my biggest and only things you know yeah. like as you will touch on through this um chat you know i've been through i've been dealt a decent hand most of it's been my own fault, so I can't, yeah. <laughs> can't whinge about it. But, yeah, you know, he's just made everything worth it. Um, so he's definitely the biggest thing I'm grateful for. I'm grateful for, obviously, a lot of things, you know, like my friends, family, the fact of the recovery that I have had, um, the ability to do things that I can do, and mm. what I've learned from a pretty hectic story. Yeah. Um, I, I It's just life for me, but, yeah. Yeah, let's talk about this hectic story then. So let's rewind to the beginning. I always set the Good Humans podcast stories with just your upbringing, what your life was like as a kid, going through high school and what sort of the vision was moving through high school for the rest of your life. So yeah, how was your upbringing? Yeah, look, I I definitely, my parents were the kind of people that made sure I had options, which was really cool. Um, They never put me pressure on me to like be... A, a certain, like a doctor or anything like that. It was just more they just wanted a happy kid, um, especially with mum. Like a dad, dad floated between different jobs. He was sort of a jack of all trades where mum was a very corporate person. So it was pretty crazy looking back now and doing so many talks with corporate people that she didn't really care what I did as long as I was happy. Mm. I remember like even like when I was a kid, she said to me, like, I don't care what you do as long as you're happy and that's all I can ever ask for. And, you know, I... Through, I, I struggled at school. I was just one of those kids that was always looking out the window thinking there was a whole world to, to go and explore. Um, I hated sitting still. Um, I think that's where AJ gets it from. Like he doesn't stop 24-7. So um, I was a very busy kid. So for me, action sports was something that took away that busyness. It, it made, it, it kept you focused mm. because it was fun and you learnt. And, you know, you're constantly challenged, as you know, through these sports about evolution, you're constantly challenged to do the next thing. And you can crash a hundred times or whatever you do to get to that point. 
And then when you actually do that trick or that movement or whatever you wanted to do with that sport or what you're doing, it was all worth it and you don't ever th- – so it really teaches you about adversity mm. um, and learning how to grow and not be deterred by failure and learning yeah. that failure is actually just a part of life. Mm. And I think that action sports really helped me set me up to deal with what I dealt with when I had my accident. Yeah. Um, so that accident was in June 25th, 2000. I was 18 years old. Um, I'd just finished school. Um, I was actually going to focus more on my motocross because I never really got a chance as a kid because mum and dad never had the opportunities to be able to have the time to get me into racing. So snowboarding was what kind of took over. So when I finished school, I was like, I'm just going to snowboard and ride dirt bikes and see where that goes. I sort of didn't really ever, I've never cared about being rich. I've always just wanted to have fun and explore. As long as I've always had money to be able to do what I want to do and love, mm. I, for me, felt like that was success and that was happiness. So my injury, uh, so what happened was June 25th, 2000, um, I was up at the snow and I built a jump across a road. So it was about 85 feet. Um, we stepped it out, I do like 18. I think like, I think the youngest was 14 and I was one of the oldest ones. So, so just a bunch of mates snowboarding. You just started to get a bit of success in your snowboarding career too. Yeah, you're saying, because I've spoken to you about this story quite a bit, yep. you just felt like you'd, you're like, I'm getting it. Yeah. I feel real confident in what I'm doing. Yeah. Also, like to backtrack a little bit. So once I finished school, I was like, do I snowboard or do I motocross? Because you can't do both on your own back. Especially, I had three jobs, but like two jobs, but you can't support both. So I was like, I'm going to stick to dirt bikes. And then my mate said to me, why don't you come up snowboarding? We'd had a huge dump of snow, like really early in the season. So we we went up and I think just not thinking about competing, not traveling overseas, not having that pressure and also thinking, you know what, stuff it like I'm I'm just going to give it a crack. Mm. And I rode the best I'd ever ridden. And yeah, I I got offered a deal through a company from one of my coaches on the Saturday night and he said, "Look, we've got this new company which is actually a huge brand now." Um and they're looking at you know, putting some young kids onto like basically product test, but it could turn into something bigger. Who is it? Uh, Tech Nine Bindings. Thick. So, but that like they just OJ, started yeah. me. Like they were like, it wasn't even really a big yeah. thing. So for me, and like for me, it was just a stepping stone. I was like, well, shit, it, they kind of see something in me. Someone believes in me. Yeah. Um, and he, he said, just don't do anything stupid because I heard you want to do some big jump. And at that stage, on the Saturday night, I was making the jump on a different section of the mountain. But then that had copped a heap of snow, a rain that night. And someone said that the rain hadn't touched, I think it was the north side of the mountain. So we started walking up the road. And that's when um, I spotted like a couple of different road gaps that people had talked about, but no one had done. Um, it was a new road that had just been built. So I scouted a few spots with my mates and like they were pretty heavy, like they're big. Yeah. But I kind of th- like, you know what it's like. You you get so um, you get so used to doing big stuff that it kind of it's just like you forget about the consequences. You look at it now and you're like, man, what are you thinking? Yeah. Um. So long story short, like I we built this. We found a section where the snow was really good. The gap was bigger, but it was a lower jump, so I wouldn't be up as high, but I'd have to go further. Yeah. So I started making the jumps and stuff like that. The jump and we tracked it out, stepped it out. I knew. You, you you do that maths in your head and I, I knew I could make it. 
Um, and then the whole day, my mate's like, you know, do you really want to do this? This is fucking stupid. Mm. And I'm like, nah. Like, I kind of felt like now looking back, this was in my head, being an 18 year old kid, this was my moment. Yeah. And we we're going to take photos and everyone talk about this jump. And I was like, this is what's going to expose me to a lot more cool stuff. Yeah. Um, never, ever, ever did I think I was going to have a bad injury. It was an insane jump, but like I never, I mean, you learn how to t- like tune that out. Mm. So, yeah, we built this jump. And then about 3, 3.30, I tracked up to the top and the boys said to me, look, do you really want to do this? This is stupid. And I was like, no, nah, let's do it. So I dropped in and the moment I'd never got to speed check and hit the jump because it was road right after yeah. the lip. So like you couldn't just like drop off the edge. And so I hit it and the moment my board, the, the nose of my board hit the transition, I just felt like, nah, this is wrong. And I felt the nose of my board bend backwards really quickly which in my eyes meant was it was steep. too short and steep yeah and i was like i'm fucked <laughs> so i just tried to prepare myself as quickly as possible and i just didn't have the time and i basically went when i hit it i went off on my heels all my feet my knees collapsed so all my weight went on my heels which made me turn do a hillside turn up it and i flipped upside down and i was just looking at the road upside down just trying to get my legs underneath me so I'd at least just break my arms and legs. Um, but I was basically just floating through the air upside down and I'm just like, fuck, I'm going to hit the gutter, I'm going to hit the gutter. And right at the last minute, I just tucked my head and tried to roll into the gutter. But I basically went up and just pin dropped straight into the the gutter. It was like a, a trough gutter, not like a proper gutter. It was like a trough one. Oh. And I just remember... So if you lean forward, the bone that sticks out between your shoulders at the top of it's called C7, mm-hmm. and that's what took the whole hit. Oh. And um, I just remember my chin squashed and my my spine felt like a, a you know the slinkies when you push them all in. Yeah. My spine just felt like it got all completely compacted, and my hips hit my shoulders and my knees hit, hit just above my ears. And that's when I heard the bind, the the edge of the board hit the road because they're metal. And I heard the that ting. Oh. And then I heard my neck snap. And then I sort of bounced and my head flung backwards. And that's when I just heard the explosion. And it sounded like a shotgun going off in my throat. And then I just stopped. And I had that uh, ringing noise, you know, when you get a hard hit. Mm. And that's like ding noise. And then I was like, okay, I'm still alive. Like, I know I'm still alive because I can hear that noise. Yeah. And I was like, I've broken my neck. And all I could think of was just stay still, don't move. And I could hear my mates running. So, yeah, I when I hit the road, like, I just I heard everything go. And I heard my mates running. I was like, just all I had this voice in my head, don't let anyone move you. If you've got any chance, don't. I don't know where yeah. it was coming from. There was this voice in my head. And so I said to the boys, I've broken my neck, don't touch me. Um, I was twisted. So my my board gripped and I kept spinning so I was like a towel being wrung out so when I was laying it's kind of hard to describe and you understand it but I was laying on my left side but my my left arm was trapped behind my back and then my hips were twisted so my ass was pretty much on the ground oh. so I was like twisted in half and then my neck they think was literally ripped off its shoulders so I was laying there with nothing and so I didn't move on you. I'd broken my neck because obviously I heard it. And the boys 
um, hold on to me. They packed snow around me. One of my mates got quite emotional. So just obviously it's heavy. Mm, I literally just watched yeah. someone snap their Watching best mate, literally die in front of him. So he called mum. <laughs> I said, just ring mum. Mum will know what to do. Yeah. She'll get the best surgeons, best doctors. She'll make sure I get airlifted out, make sure we've got cover. And then my other mate, uh, Dingo or Luke Trambath, he was the one who had to hold my head because I, I could, my head was like sort of yeah, yeah. nodding. Yeah, it was like a bobble head. So he held my head still and they just sat there for like 20 minutes until um, the ski patrol came down. And then they took me up to the medical center and I, all I remember is just I was I was real out of it, but I knew how fucked I was because when they put me on the stretcher, my arm fell off the stretcher and they put my hand back up on my chest and it kept falling off. You couldn't feel it. And I thought I'd broken my shoulder. And so the medical guy's like, I said, oh, can you just put my arm there? I can't quite remember the conversation, but all I remember is he, he got me to, he put his fingers in my hand. And I'm like, I can't tell if you're holding my hand. And he goes, and I go, can you show me? And he put his hand up and my hand up so I could see it. And I just remember trying to squeeze and my hands were just like, I think they were actually tight from memory. And I just, there was nothing. Mm. There was no connection from my brain to my to my hands. And then I felt like my spine had broken up through my chest. That's the pain I had. Um, and then the other pain was it felt like I was laying on a rock. And I've heard since then, like a lot of people break their backs or necks. It feels like they're laying. It doesn't sound bad, but it's yeah. it's a horrible feeling. Yeah. And you can't move. So you got to just sit there and suck it up. And then they they took me to the medical center. And I remember hearing him say, look, we don't know if he's going to survive. He won't survive an ambulance. We don't know if he'll survive a helicopter, but the best thing we can do is fly him out. So they um, had to gavage me while I was still awake. So they put a tube down my throat while I was awake, which was horrible. Mm. And then they had to put a, a tiny tube down my uh, nasal cavity to keep the airways open because, like, I wasn't breathing on my own. Um, and that was the hard part because I had to sniff the tube. Sniff, I'd like that, and I'd pull the tube down my throat, but then I could hear the, the bone falling off my neck. Oh. And it sounded like grinding sand in my throat. Oh. And so I passed that after that. And then that's when I got flowing into. Um, Austin Hospital where mum and dad and some of my family were waiting for me. Man, it's just like heartbreaking to hear that story but so special to see where you've come now and the journey that you've been on post what happened. What was the next part of the story? Because I know the recovery is just as important as um, the story of it actually happening. What was those, um, yeah, what happened when you got to hospital? So I think initially what saved me was being awake. It was like the it was the torture that was actually saved my life. I think that if I was knocked out, automatically people want to unravel you and I would have been fucked. Mm. So from there, I was like, okay, I survived this. Um, I knew they did surgery because I could feel where they cut my throat. So they actually cut from here to here. They re- remove everything to the side. And they go in there and they take extract all the bone that's been shattered and then they get a chisel and chisel off chunks of bone off your hip and they turn into a paste and they rebuild the spine and then put a cage over it, a, a, a plate over it, which is still in my neck now. And did you do full spinal cord? Because you hear yeah, so what breaking I did, their neck and straight away you think paraplegia. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm, it'll keep going. Yeah, so I squashed my. So what happened was when I, it's hard, I'm I'm no surgeon, but basically I squashed my cord, and it got stretched. Um, I've seen MRIs now, and about ninety to ninety five percent of my cords died. It's like withered down. So it looks like the best way to explain is if you had an elastic band, you stretch it, yeah, and it goes like real thin and clear, like yeah. it goes an opaque color. Yeah. So my cord looks like that now, and you can see where the actual. It's got scar tissue on it. There's like white lines down my cord where you can see the bone actually hit it. Wow. Um, and they gave me no chance of recovery. Um, and when I woke up, I was like, I could feel where they cut my throat. And um, I'm like, well, I can't move. Like, why can't I move? They've done the surgery. Yeah. And then they brought me in. They, I got, it was like 3 o'clock in the morning or 2.30 in the morning. And I was just demanding to have a, a surgeon or a doctor come in and talk to me. And they got one in. And he's like, all you extreme sportsmen are the same. You're never happy until you're paralyzed or dead. And congratulations, you'll never walk again. And that was at like 2, 2.30 in the morning. I was an 18-year-old kid in a cold, dark emergency room. What a dickhead. How, how they've got no bedside manner. And they still Isn't don't. Isn't it crazy how often you hear that story, yeah. though? Doctors getting it wrong and telling people there's no hope. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean they, I, I know that they have a duty of care. Exactly. Not but to there's oversell. no care with that. Yeah. Well, like, I, I understand that you can't. They make, can't give false hope. They can't give false hope and false promises. But to tell someone that and then have the recovery you had, it's like miracles seem to happen far more often than yeah. people give credit to Look, and like give hope for. But yeah, yeah, so what was that next stage after you get told you're never going to walk again from a surgeon? So obviously death mm. was my first option. So I got them to call mum and mum came in at about 3.30 in the morning and her first thing she said was those bastards told you, didn't they? And I'm like, mum, I can't live like this. Like I'm fucked. Like I don't want to be like this. You know, I was, I was 18. How am I going to have any type of life? You know, no one's going to want to settle down with someone like this. Um, I had not, I had no future in front of me. And I think we were talking about in the car the other day about you sort of think you know what you got in front of you. Yeah. And you think you have time. And then when I broke my neck, I had no time. I had no vision of what was in front of me. And that was scary. And my mum my had just done like a big Tony Robbins thing for two weeks in Hawaii. So she thought she could take on the world. And she's like, you've survived the last three days. You're going to survive now. I'm like, you just fucking kill me. Just kill me. Like, I don't want to be like this. And I I actually asked my mum to drag me on a paddock and shoot me. Because that's that's literally, that was my option. Mm-hmm. And I was happy to do that. Because I'd traveled the world. I'd, I'd lived in Switzerland on my own. And for an 18-year-old, it had a good life. Yeah. And for me, I was like, I don't want to end my life like, you know, trying to live in a wheelchair paralyzed from the neck down. Yeah, That's not a life for me. And like I, I hated being indoors. I felt like a prisoner indoors. So I was a prisoner in my own body. You could put me outside and I was still a prisoner in my own thoughts and my own all, – all I had was my, my window yeah. for my eyes and that was it. And mum wouldn't do it. And I was like, fuck it, I'll just kill myself when I can move my hands. And um, the next morning I woke up and I just, there was something in me that just said, you need to get over it and you need to accept responsibility and you never give up. And it's going to be a huge reward for you. I knew I'd never make a 100% recovery. Mm. I knew that. My chiropractor came in, he came in as my snowball coach because they wouldn't let him in as a chiropractor. 
Um, he never did any manipulation. He just came in here. He came in and assessed me to see like what connections I had. Mm. And then he came in and he's like, all right, you've got some feeling here. I was like a patchwork quilt. I had no feeling, but I had tiny little bits. Yeah. So he'd, he'd like touch my face, then touch my hand and touch my face because I could only feel my face. And he'd work all over me just to try to find if there was like a little window somewhere we could work on. And then he's like, all right, this is up to you ultimately because we can get all the help in the world. But if you truly don't believe that what we're doing is going to help you, there's no point. And so I had to learn and teach my mind to override every negative thing that was put in my head by myself and that is fucking hard very hard because your own head can be the worst enemy and so and it's stronger to listen to the negative shit than the positive stuff especially when you're completely paralyzed naked in a bed Mm. going through torture um your body feels like because your bright your brain needs constant stimulation and you can't feel anything it makes up lies in your own head so i'd be like your left leg's over that way your fingers are bent that way and like i'd be laying in bed just going fuck i hate this body and like you just Mm. but you can't do anything so i was like okay how do i override that i'm like okay your legs are straight your legs are straight your legs are straight and then for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and hours i'd just lay there just the same message in my head and then after a while my body was in sheer agony but it wasn't messing with my mind thinking that my legs and arms were getting torn apart. It was like if you ever see a torture movie and someone's getting slashed and burnt and because pain sensory is the biggest form of sensory that you can get. So your body is like we need information. So they just send every bit of pain sensory to your brain. This was just my own personal. I don't know what everyone else is like. So it was like I was getting tortured 24-7 in a chair. Oh. And so I had to override my brain to, to to let that go. They were on pain meds. I'm like, I'm still in pain. Get me off the pain meds. They're like, it'll kill you. I'm like, well, I'm already nearly dead. So get me off the pain meds. So I figured out which one were pain meds. I had a nurse that was really cool. I'm like, which ones are the pain ones? She's like, oh, that one, that one, and that one. Like, boom, threw them out. Wow. And I had to get my brain straight. And I had to be harsh. Like, you know, if family or friends came in crying, I'm like, if you're going to cry, don't come in. I'm not crying. Like I, I was tough. Yeah. I had dark nights, man. Like you know, I, I'm not going to say it was peachy. It wasn't. It was torture. Yeah. Um. But I had to get rid of anything negative that was going to hold me back. Um. And it made me hard. It made me sometimes a prick to people. But it wasn't because I had to survive. Yeah, that's the only way to survive. So I had to push out negative. Um. Then we had an acupuncturist come in later on my mum's friend's daughter-in-law was a psychic healer so she came in i just went the whole alternative approach i ate better i didn't eat hospital food i'd eat atlantic salmon because it's good for the nervous system um cranberry juice i wouldn't get like man they were trying to kill me the first few days they left me in a bath i already had a collapsed lung they were cleaning me and then an emergency happened so they took off and i was left in a bath for 45 minutes completely paralyzed so i went into shock with that then got pneumonia from that so i was like man i've got to do whatever i can to get out of here like and so we just started little steps so like obviously my big goal was to walk but how do i get to that so Mm. we started bringing in pictures of me snowboarding and anything we could find where i was active we brought that in um mum brought my motocross helmet in and i was talking to you about it the other day like i 
I needed to escape. My brain needed to escape hospital. Mm-hmm. There was no stimulation in there. And it's like a normal job. If you've got a job that doesn't stimulate you, you start dying inside. Mm. Your, 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 um, your creative mind starts dying when you're not stimulated. Mm-hmm. So mum would bring my dirt bike helmet in. I'd smell the dirt and the fuel and the oil and she'd bring my snowboard gear in and I could smell like the smells just let my – and I'd close my eyes and I'd smell it and my brain would just boom, was gone. Mm. And we just did off-the-wall shit, man. We made it up. We made it up as we went and it worked, you know. And it, and I tell anyone that I go through recovery, just because I had this recovery doesn't mean you're going to have the recovery. Yeah. But you have to believe that whatever you're doing is helping you. Not just go, okay, you work on me and do acupuncture or it'll better work. I would go into my mind and I'd get my body to vision like a camera going to that spot and like fixing that itself. Mm. So I was, I, and this is shit I'd never done. Yeah. But when your back's against the wall, you figure it out. Absolutely. And um, my first initial bit of recovery was the first time scratching my nose. I remember laying there and the nurse would scratch your nose and they'd, 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 do, they'd scratch your nose and you're like, they'd drive you nuts because they can't get the spot. It'd be yeah. too hard, too soft, not the right spot. So I was like, okay, my first goal, didn't even think about walking, didn't even think about standing, didn't think about motocross, snowboarding. That's That was in a, a different area of my yeah. life right now. So I was like, okay, first goal is to, to scratch my nose. And so I was like, how do you scratch your fucking nose? Because the gift we have of movement is something that we all take for granted. So mm. when you lose it, you're like, well, how did I used to do it? So I started thinking about doing the dirt bike helmet up or like putting a hoodie on or anything that like, oh, I remember what that felt like to grab my hoodie or put my goggles on and adjust my goggles like when it's got snow in it. Mm. Like you remember that feeling. And so I remember looking at my hand and it was just dead on my on my chest and I was and I had to figure out how to get it to there. And I just I can't even 100% guarantee what I, I used to do, but I just used to tell myself anything. And after two days, like my hand got to here and three days it came up to here and then I think it was the fourth or fifth day I came in so hard I nearly snapped my nose because <laughs> I had no control. It was like was there or there. It wasn't yeah. – there was no dexterity. I was going crack. And I just remember I was just moving my head up and down and I itched my nose and I just started crying. And I was like a little piece of Josh came back. Um, And then I thought if I can move the furthest part from my brain, then in theory I should be able to work all the way back. And so I thought about my big toe and so I stared at my big toe for two weeks and I thought if I can move my big toe, I can work my way back. And I do this, I don't know, if you have, put your hand on your lap and if you tuck all your fingers in and except have your ring finger out, mm. it's hard to get it out and then put your palm against the, your leg and now try lift that finger off your, off your leg. <laughs> you can't, you look at it. Yeah, you see, you can't, you can't do it. But you can, if yeah, with yeah. time you'll learn, like you, you figure out a pathway to that. <laughs> like I guarantee you, yeah. I'll make a challenge to you right now, every day for two weeks, try and at least 15, 20 minutes. Like I sat there for every all day, every day. <laughs> That's a good one. Anyone out there listening, make a fist on your lap. Just put your ring finger out or your marriage finger, second from your pinky, and try and move it. You got to keep, keep your palm pressed against the, yeah. the ground. Try and the lift the finger at all. 
yeah. So that's, that's the closest. Way, yeah, that's yeah. a great way to describe, I guess, how yeah. your whole body felt. Yeah. yeah. So I had to like, okay, if I can move my big toe, then in theory, why wouldn't everything else work? So I just remember looking at my big toe. I was like, okay, how do I get my brain to connect to that? So I envisioned a video camera going into my body and like going up and like all the only thing I ever looked at, and I've still never even Googled spinal cord injury to this day, but I Googled, I, I, there was a, a body map of all your um, Anatomy nervous system. Yeah. And so I could see what, what, what parts came off different sections of your spinal cord. And so then I just studied that, envisioned a camera going down. And then after two weeks, I thought if I get a puppet, I might pull on the tendon. That's the only way I could think of it working. And for two weeks straight, all I'd do is stare at my toe. And after two weeks, my toe flicked. And then just as that happened, the surgeon came in or doc, one of the doctors or surgeons came in to do an assessment. I'm like, check this out. And like, I, I moved it. And I say this in all my talks. Because it's all about life and it yeah. just shows you that people are going to shut you down no matter what. And I showed him and I flicked my toe and he goes, oh, that's a spastic response. You'll lose that. And I'm like, well, you're a fucking spastic response. Yeah. <laughs> I hope I lose you. Like I like I swear a lot because at the time when you're paralyzed, all you got is words. So mm. like I, I swore a lot yeah, yeah. and it somehow just stuck with me. <laughs> um, and like they were trying to shut me down straight away. But then my family would come in and then I'd show mum and dad and my family and friends would start crying and I could see a little piece of them started getting better. It's like, mm. okay, Josh is getting better. Um, and then I just started working away at it, just started chipping away. Um, and then long story short, I was one day I was getting a physio. I started getting movement in both hands so I could push a wheelchair. Man, just being in a wheelchair was sick. But like, you know, I went, I could have a day of just talking what I went through in that six weeks. Yeah. It was, it was horrible. Mm. It was, I would not wish it on anyone. Well, it's probably a few people probably deserve it, <laughs> horrible humans, but yeah. you would still not wish it on anyone yeah. because it, it's, it's, it's horrible. Right, yeah. So whenever I hear someone that's had a spinal injury, I'm just like, yeah. But there, there, there's light at the end of the tunnel, yeah. regardless if you make a recovery like mine or similar to mine. I've seen so many people have such incredible lives. Um, so I don't want it to be focused on just me thinking that everyone's going to walk in. It's not. I've worked with more people than I can count. But you get through it. You figure it out. And it's dark. It's a dark time. But I I learned how to look after myself, self-talk. Um, I talk to my mates and stuff like that. Mm. And I learned to be grateful for the recovery I was having. Like, you know, now even talking about scratching my nose, I still remember what that was like because I've never let that go because yeah. I keep myself humble. Yeah, it's so powerful, man. Like, thanks so much for sharing. Like, I have heard the story a few times from you on this and other podcasts, but just getting you to share that for the Good Humans podcast is so special. What was um that next stage like once you're like, all right, I need to work out what to do with the rest of my life now. This is my life once you for one what did like the doctor say once you got to the point where walking was a possibility oh, they said i'd lose it <laughs> so i i don't want to get stuck on it too much but no. yeah there was one day where i wanted to stand i had this voice in my head that said today you're going to stand so i went to my physio and i kept just hounding her like help me stand help me stand she's like josh will never walk again and then for an hour 
of me trying to grind her down, she gave up. But in my head, I didn't realize, but I'd kind of given up because I was trying to fight her so much about it. And they tried standing me. There was one holding my ankles. There was another physio holding my knees. And then she held my hips and body and tried to lift me up and I'd collapse. And every time I'd collapse, she'd be like, I told you so. And so every time she said, I'll tell you so, a piece of me would be like, oh, okay, she's right, she's right. And then I'd start not believing in myself. And so I was really pissed off and my mate's dad came in for lunch and he was in there a lot. And I was pissed off and he's like, what's wrong? And I'm like, I'm, I'm going to be an effing cripple for the rest of my life and no one's going to want to be with me. And he's like, you need to just get over it. And I'm like, fuck, it's easy for you to say. You walked in here and he's like, yeah, but who put you here? I'm like, yeah, I did. And he's like, well, figure it out because you've come a long way already. You're not going to give up now. I won't let you. Mm. And so I went to the gym and I picked up like these little one kilo weights and I just swore at them and I just got all my garbage out of me. And then I went back to the parallel bars. I wheeled my wheelchair up. The physio room was empty because everyone was at lunch. And I was like, how do you stand? Like I forget how to stand. So I started thinking about snowboarding. Started thinking about how to sit up off the ground onto your board because mm. I don't know if you've snowboarded before, but it's yeah. really hard to sit from your ass to your board and yeah. stand because everything's strapped in. Yeah. And so I remembered how to what that felt like. So I just closed my eyes and just visioned it, visioned it, visioned it, and then I was like, okay, stand. And then I remember feeling put your chest forward, lift up, and and I tried standing. I collapsed in my chair and I tried three times, and those little voices started coming in my head. I just quit, just quit, just quit, just quit. And they're strong voices. <laughs> mm. But I had to make a stronger voice that overrode that. And um, I stood on my own in parallel bars. Wow. And I was like, fuck it. Let's see if I can get to the end. And I dragged my legs all the way to the end. And then I was like, I'm stuck. <laughs> I couldn't uh. get back. There was no one to help. I still don't know how I did it. Got back in the wheelchair, went straight to my physio. And I said, watch this, I want to show you this. And she was eating a tuna sandwich, I still remember it. And um, she's like, what do you, what, what? And I said, just watch this. And if you're not impressed by it, you never have to work on me again, I'll fire you. That's cool. Well, I couldn't fire her because yeah. I was in an actual rehab center. And she came over and long story short, I stood in front of her and she looked at me and she's like, oh, you're a lot taller than I thought you would be. And she turned around and walked off. And I'm like, an hour ago, you three couldn't hold me up and I've just stood in front of you. Why did you do this job? Like, if you weren't here to heal people yeah. and help people, why are you doing this for a paycheck? It's yeah. a shit paycheck anyway. You could tell me every day how shit it was. So why yeah. are you doing this if you're not passionate about it? And she's like, you'll lose it. And then I just, oh, man, it was bad. And I remember going in my wheelchair and I got my big mobile phone because they were big back then and I rang mum and, I just started crying. I said, Mom, I stood. And she just went silent and she was crying. And every time I got better, everyone else got better and people treated me less like I was injured. Mm. I don't ever say disability. I don't, I always say injury still. 22 mm. years later, I call it an injury because it's not who I am. It's just an injury that's just yeah. hung around a bit longer. So, yeah, I got out. Um, I walked out. I took about eight steps out of rehab three and a half months later. Wow. And I always talk about in my talks is imagine if I had to listen to that one person, I would have given up. I would have pressed a red button. If I had a red button to press to to end my life, I would have done it and I wouldn't be here today. I wouldn't have what I have around me. Um, And that's what drives me now is the fact that, and I do it in my talks, is don't let one person's opinion change your own opinion. 
mm. like fight forward for what you truly believe on it. And and it's not, everyone's no one's going to ever believe in you, and, and like you're you're believing yourself. Yeah. So you need to learn how to detach from that and focus on your and you. And I think that's where I kind of lost it a little bit working full time. I, I lost that drive because I just woke up every day and just did the same thing. Mm. And it wasn't until I met you at Chumpy's night, you're the first person ignited that flame in me to want to do more. Because I'm like, I've been through all this shit. And like, yeah, i am got this incredible job and yeah, I've proven everyone wrong by still doing this job. That's a tough job. Like yeah. I was in construction whether it was just spotting or whether I was in the excavator, like, you know, I, it was still long, cold hours or long, hot hours. And I did it for nearly just under three years, but I wasn't stimulated and mm. I was angry and I'm making all this money and I'm like, for what? Yeah. I don't see my son. He's my whole driving force to why I do anything now. Yeah. Because you get tired of the same story with the spinal injury. <laughs> well, that's what I want to talk to you about quickly. Let's go into that next stage, what you did career-wise, because I know you got into public speaking. It's something that I'm obviously very passionate about. And watching you speak at Chumpy's Gala dinner where I first saw you, I was like, obviously, you've got an incredible story to tell, but you tell it very authentically and you're an incredible storyteller. So when did public speaking come into the um, yeah forte for what your life sort of brought next um i think it was about like 2011 because i party like i i trained and did rehab my own rehab for most of my 20s yeah i never really got to be 18 to 27 so when i hit like 25 27 i went nuts going out partying fucking up my body doing all all the good shit i I did i was unwinding it because i just went nuts and then um, I met AJ's mom and she was into fitness and stuff like that. And it kind of gave me a bit of a drive to, to want more. So I stopped partying. I started doing rehab, like gym work, um, started eating better, um, started putting back in because like, I had kind of gone through all this just to throw it all yeah. away. Um, and then I got into pub- someone that said, would you like to do Because my mom was in financial planning. Um, so she, my first gig was a paid gig for financial planners association wow. which is like some of the hardest people to speak in front of so like had all these notes and my mum's very structured where i'm loose like i'll just figure it out like yeah. my life is i'll just figure it out um so mum's like all right let's do this and i was like it's just it wasn't correlating in my head and i had all these notes and i stood in front of all these people and i'm like fuck it just talk and I just t- started talking and I just said, this is my injury and this is my recovery and this is what I did. And if I can do what I've done with literally 5% function of my spinal cord, imagine what you could do if you really applied yourself. Mm. And I listened to that and I did that again. And then everything sort of unraveled after the separation. Um, I, I was in that construction job. Um, I took time off to be with AJ more and then everything kind of unraveled a bit. You know, I stopped focusing on me. I wasn't creative. I just was like, okay, I can turn up to work every day. I get a mad paycheck. And, you know, that was a challenge in itself, but I wasn't stimulated. And Mm. I missed the talks once I started talking to you (laughs) because you have a drive and a passion that is genuine and you don't always see it. So when 
you finally figured out which chair you're going to sit in when you kept moving me around the table. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and we yeah. started talking. Like, I was like, man, I just want to do that again. Like, I love, like, connecting with people. And I'm a driven person. And I felt like when I was in this job, I was looked at as someone that, you know, I, I made mistakes, but that's not who I am. And I think that I kind of started feeling like that's who I was and there was more to me than that. Mm. And that's when that drive to start doing talks again started coming up. I love connecting with people, whether it's school kids or whether it's athletes or whether it's corporates. Like I've, I've walked in the talks with shorts and T-shirt and yeah, these corporates. Yeah. You tell this story really well about being yourself. Yeah, so to be yourself. I was booked for... Uh, I think it was a, oh, I can't remember. It was an insurance company or financial planners, but it was like I had five talks in five different states in one week or just over a week. So the first one I turned up in a suit and the guy who hired me is like, that was a fantastic talk, but what would you like to change to make a difference? I don't wear a suit. Like I, I hate being in my body already because I feel trapped in my body. Yeah, It's irritated all the time. Um, do you carry pain? Full oh, time? I'm in agony 24 seven mm. from my neck. So if you get like a dead leg and it wakes up, you get that burning tingling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I have that from my neck to my feet 24 seven. It's oh never shut God. off. Ne no matter if it's an illegal drug or a legal drug, it's never yeah. stopped it. So I've just learned to deal with it. Um, and he's like, all right, why don't you just come in jeans and a shirt tomorrow? And then he came up to me and I talk, he goes, the talk was brilliant. What can you change? I said, I don't want to wear jeans and shirt. I was like, what do you want to wear? And I said, let me wear a t-shirt and jeans. All right. Next talk was way better. I was like, what do you want to wear? I'm like, shorts and t-shirt. <laughs> and the way I thought of it is if I'm judged on what I'm wearing as a speaker, it means I'm a shit speaker. Yeah. And my point hasn't gotten across. So I should be able to turn up in anything out of respect. You're going to yeah, not wear yeah. scummy clothes, but... I should turn up in who I am. Otherwise, I'm not being authentic. And I remember I was in Sydney and I was walking through with a shorts and T-shirt and I remember seeing this guy look at me and just I knew that judgment look straight away. And he's like, I, that look was like, what's this kid going to teach me? And anyway, I spoke and I had two people pass out in that talk. And so that makes it hard to, to restart a talk when two people have passed out in the talk. Cause it's just the heaviness of what that's Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd like to talk about how heavy it was because sometimes putting the fear into someone might stop them from ever making a bad choice that, like we were talking about last yeah. night, jumping in a car with a drunk driver or, you know, doing something stupid that isn't calculated um, or even just to appreciate what you've got. Yeah. So I get people dropping my talks a fair bit. <laughs> um, I have to come with a disclosure now. That yeah. it's like I've yet to have anyone pass out in my yeah, talk. Yeah, you got to push them harder. Right. Yeah, push them harder. <laughs> so yeah, long story short, this guy came up to me in tears. The same guy that judged me, and he's like, "I want to let you know that I judged you when you walked in." I said, "Yeah, I know. I saw your look." He's like, "Oh, oh." He goes, "Well, I want you to know that like I'm completely wrong with what I thought, and you know I'm a successful businessman, and my son didn't want to do what I do, and I felt like he wasn't being successful." covered in tattoos and he wants to do all this and I thought he was just had no drive but after watching what you've done I realized I I completely am wrong about my own son and I want to reconnect with my son again and fix what I've probably damaged yeah because I talk about everything man like I, I I I use my my recovery and my story as an example to relate to anyone mm. in the room and like you know I'd, I've done talks from primary school to the biggest corporates in Australia yeah um 
So I try to make it work for everyone and let them relate in any way. Yeah. And I enjoy that. And I think that if I have to turn up in a shirt, a shirt, a shirt and tie, then I'm doing it all wrong. Yeah. And, you know, as I said, you you don't turn up like with torn stuff on. But <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, you yeah. want to be you. You want to be genuine. Yeah. I, I want to be a speaker and I'm not the best speaker. And I'll never promote that as like I'm a Tony Robbins or I'm, I'm just I shoot from the hips and what you see is what you get. And mm. um, I think that I'd, I'd take pride in that and, you know, I stuff up my talks and sometimes I might get a little bit lost because I'm a squirrel brain. My, my brain's already 10, yeah. 10 stories in front of where I actually am. But, yeah, I enjoy that connection you get with people. And I think that when you and I chatted at Chumpy's, like, that was a real cool positive connection because in construction you're not around that. Yeah. You know, and that's nothing against people I'm with because, like, I love the people I worked with. Um, but you, it's different. Yeah. And that's what I'm used to is this. And so, yeah. Well, it's nice. It's what, like the way that me and you connect, obviously, is mates now, but – hearing your story hopefully and it feels like what I've potentially inspired back in you was that your story and your injury has given you a story to tell that can inspire so many to yeah. make better choices and rather than look at what happened with you as his big negative which obviously you know what I mean I'm not going to take away from your story yeah. it's obviously something that you would change in a heartbeat if you could but it's happened and using that though as a positive moving forward to inspire people it sounds like you might have forgotten the impact that it does have because you're telling the same story. And now with AJ, let's talk about the last six years of your life having AJ around, what that's done for you. <laughs> Man, I, I like they told me I never have kids. Um, I learned very quickly in hospital that I, was a, I had the ability to still have fun, <laughs> but I wasn't sure if I'd ever be able to have kids. Um, so when my partner at the time fell pregnant, like, I was like, holy shit, like, this is sick. And then I struggled the first six months when he was real little. Like, I couldn't look up. I couldn't walk around and pat his back because I'm on a walking stick. I, I couldn't do that. I, mm. I was scared to drop him. So I, I remember one time I had him for, like, I think 45 minutes and he screamed the whole time. And I just, I was literally crying by the end of it thinking, how am I going to connect? Like, I've, I felt like I was failing him. And then with time, like, we just formed this bond and it was just, I'm just so, like, we bang heads. Like, he's freaking full on. Like, for me, it, it's normal. But, like, sometimes, like, he'll do things and I've got to remind myself he's only six because he does all this crazy stuff on a dirt bike or BMX that I would never have done. Like, <laughs> but I'm like, but then he has this other side to him where you, it, it reminds you that he's just six and, like, we clash a bit, but, like, we never let shit sit. Like we we talk it out, yeah. and I make sure I've been like that with him. And then when him and his when his mum and I separated, our bond just became even more incredibly close. And I just feel like I had to go through this to have him as a reward. And when I was laying there on the road, and there was that message saying, "There's something incredible that's going to be waiting for you," I think that's that was the mm. message was him. And I can't regret what I, I've never regretted what I went through, but it makes it worth it. And yeah. I'll do it all again if it meant having him. Um, we've been talking to you in the car when we came back from Eka the other day and we're listening to that YouTube yeah, yeah. for your coach. And when I said, 
because I just obviously I've left my job. Obviously, people aren't listening. I've just left my full time job to pretty much be full time with AJ. And everyone's like, "You're mad." And for me, I felt like people are mad doing something that they don't love. Yeah, there's no passion. Um, and so I'm more happy in the unknown because that's what I'm used to from my injury. Mm. When I have a structure in front of me, I feel like I get lost in my creative side, but also pushing to go to the next level. And so me walking away from a well-paying job to, okay, what's next feels comfy for me. Yeah. And I'm excited to to see where the future goes. I can always go back to that job. Um, I'm lucky enough to have a company that backed what I wanted to do. Um, I can go back casual if I want, but I really want to try not to. Yeah. I want to just have a life where I can do what we're doing or my talks but be with him, be present with him because they're only kids for a short amount of time and there's only a very small window. I watched a, sounds stupid, but there was a TikTok that came up and it was about a letter that someone written into a, um, a radio station and it was basically in a nutshell saying that you only really have maybe eight to ten years with these kids. You know, you only have really, if you look at it, ten to eighteen summers with them mm. and then they're gone. Yeah, wow. And it's not long. And they're only they're, they're adults longer than they are kids. So I want to make sure that him and I do as much cool shit as possible. And, you know, like I want to do more content stuff with him because it's fun for him. I just love watching him live, dude. Like yeah. I I don't even think about snowboarding or riding dirt bikes anymore because I look at him. I don't live through him. Like I just I love watching him yeah. just live life, man. Like hanging out with you. Like I, I loved watching even you guys packing stuff like you know i loved watching that because it's sick like i want him to make bonds with different people and and grow as his own person and you know if i can facilitate him living the best life he can live then man i'm gonna do it Mm. and but i want him to work for it too yeah absolutely he's a good little kid and there's a lot of stuff that's going to come forward so might be a bit of a heavy question to ask but i want to ask you it anyway you spoke the other day about saying because I mean, you don't like to call it a disability, but let's face it, there's not there's some things that you can't do that your average person can do, and one of them is like kicking the footy with your kid. And you said that the other day, you, he went to kick, like his mate kicked him the footy and he didn't know how to kick a ball. Mm-hmm. How's that for you to deal with knowing that like there's going to be things that AJ misses out or have you got the mindset now that you know you can add so much more to him that other people can't bring to the table yeah. because of what you've been through? I try to be more aware of shit like that um, now since that happened because he does all this stuff on a dirt bike and motorbike because mm. for me, it's easy for me to do it. I take no track. I'm yeah. like, hey, this is what you do. Sidetracking from that, like it's made him tougher because normally when a kid crashes on a BMX or a dirt bike or whatever they're doing, the parent runs to them and grabs them. Mm. Most of the time he crashes, it's on the other side of the track and I'm like, how, how am I going to get to him? And so he's learned, like he used to pick his dirt bike up at three or four and started himself. Because he knew like, by the time I get to him, he doesn't like to see me go through stuff too. But I, I just try to be more aware of it. I try to be more grateful for what I can do. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I felt bad when he went to kick the footy with his mate last year. Like he went to kick and he had no idea how to kick a footy. It's like one of the fundamental things from a Victorian to learn or, <laughs> you know, because I know in Queensland they don't really play AFL. Yeah, but kick that sheriff, huh? Yeah, <laughs> the Sharon. 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 There you go. So I don't even know. Um, you can tell I'm not from Victoria. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I um, I felt bad, but I don't want to – I can't sit on that because 
I like I there's so many things I I'll probably miss that I won't think of like the footy. Mm. But now like I make sure okay, let's do that. Like let's learn teach you how yeah. to kick properly. Um but there are still things I can do. Like some of the tough things is like when um like moving house and stuff like that when there's shit I can't do, but then I surprise myself with what I can do as well still. Yeah. Um, my my walking's gotten worse since being in this full-time job because I wasn't putting that health into myself. Yeah. So like I saw a video of me walking the other day at the track and I was like, holy shit, I walk like that. I don't think I walk like that in my head because in my mind, I don't think I'm like that. Like I know I'm walking yeah, yeah. not how I used to, but then I see a video of me, I'm like, oh, I walk like that. Yeah. I remember when I used to walk without a walking stick, but I'm aware of that now. So I'm like, okay, I need to fix that. Yeah, yeah. And that job provided me financial stability with him, but that was it. Yeah, but there's no. And that wasn't enough for me. Like, living with him. Not living with him, but not living with myself. I mm. wasn't, like, I was sitting in a car having um, ham sandwiches and ham rolls every day because I was just so tired. Like, mm. I was, sometimes I was sleeping in my car at lunch. Just because I was so exhausted. Mm -hmm. um, so I feel like I would have been letting myself down more if I just stuck doing that. Yeah. Um, and I want to travel with him. I want to give him opportunities. And, you know, I'm not going to race him just because I feel like there could be other opportunities for him. And it takes a lot on both ends. Mm. And I feel like I just want to have fun. Yeah. I don't care if he's the best in the world. I just want him to have fun, man. I just want, like, we go to Area 51 to Jake's event up in Goldie up here towards the sunny coast. And he was literally the only kid out there and he's hanging around all these adults and like pretty heavy, good riders. Mm. And he's just hanging out and I just sit back and watch him. I, like, I love it. Yeah. If I can provide that as long as he wants it. And like you said, you know, I've got contacts everywhere, but I'm not going to use my contacts to benefit him. He needs to kind of earn it too. Yeah. Um, and if he wants to, he can go that way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I, I try not to beat myself up. It is easy to beat myself up, but I try not to because it ends up going on to him anyway. Yeah. And he sees it, man. He reads it. Mm. He knows when I'm having a shit day. Yeah. He's like my mirror. So I I try to do better all the time. Like I I was snapping at him more. Um, like I was working six days a week and I'd have Sunday to do the motocross stuff. And anyone that's packed and sorted out a kid's dirt bike and all that stuff knows it takes a lot. Yeah. But I did it because I love it and I'm able to do it because I remind myself where I've come from. Yeah. I always remind myself where I've come from. I always remind myself that there's worse off. But, um, yeah, I I was starting to snap at him and stuff. I'm like just frustrated over small shit. I'm like, why are you getting angry at this kid? Like, And I'm just exhausted. Yeah. And I felt like I was letting him down because I didn't have that time and then I'd make that time up with him. And, like, it's a full-day deal. Like, we're out 12, 13 hours a day. Like, we're up in yeah. Goldie. Son and mates joint, I'll literally never see him because like we get up in the morning, we're gone all day. Yeah. And everyone's like, when do you rest? And I'm like, this is rest for me. <laughs> and like one of my mates was talking about it the other day at the track and someone said something to him and someone said that the same thing to me. And it's basically like, when do you get your time to yourself? You're always doing stuff with your kid. You're always at the motocross mm. track. And his answer was the same as mine. It's like, this is my time. Yeah, this is what I live for. Yeah. And it's not living through my kid. It's going, I've got this opportunity I can give this kid and just watching him with his mates. Like you go to the skate park. He, I saw him talking to an old, uh, a skater guy yesterday 
And he was just chatting. I'm like, I'm just going to let them chat. Like, he didn't look sus. So I'm like, all right, let's let him chat with him. Like, he had a little kid there. And I think that's sick, you know, to be able to walk up and speak yeah. to someone and have that conversation at six. Mm. And, like, it, he does it all the time. Like, I obviously watch who it is. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Some weirdo looking over a fence. Like, you don't talk to those ones. But, like, you know, I think it's a really cool quality to have is to be able to have conversation because I think it helps a lot of people. For sure. I'm so proud to have little AJ's, our first motocross ambassador, <laughs> junior ambassador, wearing our little new fist motorbike gloves that should be out, actually, when this episode comes out. Yeah. Um, but, man, it's been so nice getting into your story. I just want to quickly go to one little topic because it's kind of how we met and that's through Chumpy because I know you've done a fair bit of, you did a fair bit of work with Chumpy with the Red Bull Wings Foundation. Yeah. Wings for Life, yep. Yeah, Wings for Life. Can you explain how that came about and the relationship that you had with Red Bull and, yeah, inspiring yeah. athletes? Maybe, I don't really know what you did. What did you do with them? Yeah, so how it started, so Chumpy, um, his family owned Pull and Ski Hire in Mansfield. So Mansfield's where I grew up. So Pull and Ski Hire in my eyes, it was like the cool shop because it had all the best stuff. Um, but Chris and Sally, Chumpy's mum and dad, put a lot into the people that walked in. Yeah. Um, and then snowboarding sort of started coming into Australia about 90, 91, 92. And I first rode a snowboard, I think, at like 92. And then Chris brought some snowboards into the shop and we were just like, young little kids and we just walked into his shop and he's like hey boys you know you should, these are the boards you should try and we went out snowboarding he'd let us try like different boards to see which ones would suit us and then he taught us about how to do snow tech and then we got that bond and i remember chumpy being like well, he wasn't chumpy back then he was just alex and he was just this little dude running around the shop and then it wasn't until i think it was his first olympics don't quote me on the year mm. But he was on the gate and I just heard Alex Chumpy pulling. I'm like, pulling? I can't be that little kid that like I remember. And then, but he had goggles on and everything. So yeah. I didn't recognize him. And then I sort of, I didn't follow his career or anything like that, but I sort of knew he was doing really well for himself. And then Benny Foster, who's a mate from Gold Coast, um, he worked for Red Bull and Red Bull looking for ambassadors for Wings for Life. And so he put me in contact with or he brought me in with red bull and barrett and i got to meet everyone at saint uh in sydney and it just so happened that chumpy was in there for a meeting um and then they introduced us and then i said oh yeah i'm josh wood the one that broke his neck and he's like holy shit like i remember all that when i was a kid and he's like i used to look up to you guys i'm like why would you look up to us man like we were <laughs> like mm. one or two of my mates were really good but like i wasn't someone that yeah. was good and he's like no i remember when you were young and you guys would just fly past us on the snowboards and I thought that was the sickest thing ever. And, like, man, it was just a wild west for snowboarding back then. Like, we used to fight skiers and stuff like that because yeah. it was just – it was full on. And then we started chatting and we just bonded, man, straight away and we just basically picked up where we left off and we stayed in touch. So I did my ambassador stuff with Wings for Life. So Chumpy, obviously being a Red Bull athlete, was an ambassador for Wings for Life too. So on the Wings for Life nights – we'd always be together. We'd do shit together. Like we'd do interviews together, like, cause we'd always be an yeah. ambassador deal. And with all the other Red Bull athletes, it was sick because it was something different with my injury, but I could see that there was hope because it was a really positive thing that Red Bull were trying to do to help recover people with injuries. Yeah. And it wasn't about you're going to walk, it's recovery. Mm. So it could be learning how to eat on your own, brush your teeth, wipe your own butt, 
Yeah. Put your own catheter in if you need to. Um, it wasn't, and that's what I always try to base everything off is it's not about walking. Like I'm grateful better, I got to walk again. Better. Anything's better yeah. than what you're dealt with when you first have that initial injury. So mm. I was real passionate. I'll only line myself up with foundations or businesses or corporations that I believe that are cool, yeah. that are beneficial for a lot of people that I, I want to put my name with. And it's not like mm. as if I'm a famous name, but you know what I mean? Like I, you'd never be sponsored by someone you don't believe in yeah. because you're not going to promote something that you don't believe in. Yeah. So I was honoured to do that with Wings for Life and that's where Chump and I just, our bond, and he absolutely adores AJ, adored AJ. Um, and then, yeah, it was just, I didn't even, wasn't meant to make Chumpies because I was working his foundation when Al said I could yeah. come up and if I wanted to, I could speak a little bit. I was nervous, man, because like I'm I'm good with my talk, but when it's to do with anything else, yeah. like I'm shit house. Hard to and especially something. for Chumpy because like. And it's kind of like. Not a eulogy, but yeah, it was his first foundation dinner for after Huge, his passing. Yeah. So it's there's a lot of yeah, a lot weighted on it, especially in your own mind, would have yeah. been a lot weighted on that. And speech. I came and I, I remember spoke I sitting next to yeah. you, shitting yourself. I was <laughs> shitting myself. Like you come to one of my talks, like, and I didn't, I'm like I didn't know until about five minutes before you went on that you were about to yeah. get up and speak. Yeah, because I would have started going operating quiet because <laughs> I went after Ali, Ali, and then I went after Chris. Well, Trump is that after you told your story for us to really start having a good conversation yeah. too and gelling. Yeah, because I, I mean I don't really always talk about it. I mean obviously I was sitting down, so you may not have known about my injury. Yeah, probably when I had to move chairs for you ten times. Yeah, the king of ever so I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah so that was pretty nerve-wracking in itself going after al and after chris because yeah. like they're that was like that's yeah. chumpy's world right there yeah um i was like man what am i going to bring to the table here and so i i don't even know what i said i think i just shit myself the whole time yeah you told but, stories you yeah but i'm pretty hard on myself with that stuff but yeah it was it was an incredible night man and it's just like Someone said it, it's taken over 400 people to do what one person was doing. Mm. That shows you what kind of person Chumpy was. Yeah. And he was the kind of person that, and legitimately not in a fake way, he made everyone he met feel like his best friend. Yeah. He had time for everyone. Even when he didn't have time, he made time for people. Mm. And that's a pretty incredible gift to have, to be genuine like Mm. that, especially in this world, man, with social media and all that crap. And like you watch him and Al's posts, like, and someone asked me the other day about Al and said, what's she like in person? I said, she's incredible at what you see on Insta. She's 10 times that when you meet mm. her in person. Yeah. Like you can't capture what kind of energy you get. Like mini, like dude, yeah. I'm not a baby person and she is insane. She yeah. is so sick. I like, I love mini and Al. It's just, and now I've got that bond with Al and mini and AJ absolutely adores both of them. And yeah. I just think that Chumpy's never going to go anywhere. Like he, he's not with us now, mm. um, but and you know I'm I'm fighting back a lot of emotion to say that, but he lives through all of us now, and I think that if we can take anything from Chumpy, it's just to be a good human like what you promote, and mm. I think that's why we clicked because yeah. I just love your energy, but I love your direction, mm. and I think that with my recovery, I kept it simple. And your came is simple, be a good human. Yeah. And you'll change lives. Absolutely. We don't have to be Tony Robbins or whatever and make you walk through fire. Like just learn little bits 
be a little like he's got those stickers he gave them to a couple of the kids at the skate park yesterday. Mm, sick. And you know, like so we can bomb them and stuff like that. It starts a conversation. Yeah. And I I, I want to align myself and him like that because yeah. I want to bring up a good kid. When yeah. um when we were trying to have a kid, someone said, "Do you really want to bring a kid into this world?" And I'm like, "Yeah, it is a fucked up world, isn't it?" And then another part of me was like, "But the only way we can change this world is the younger generations. So just because it's a yeah. full on fucked up world, especially what's happened the last two years, really has yeah. divided a lot of people. And I feel like if I can align my son with people like yourself, people that are going to drive him to be a good person, to to know that it's cool to be your own character." Like he has dangly earrings and if he wants to paint his fingernails, his Richmond Tigers colours, do that, bro. I wouldn't do it, but you do that. Like, you know, I'd look horrible in pink. He looks sick in a pink hat. Run that pink hat. That's yeah. who you are. And um, don't ever be, um, for me, I I don't want him to ever not be him. Mm. Um, I think I was telling you and Harry the other day, he had that little key ring with the motorbike boot and yeah, I yeah. put it on his bag at school for his first day and he's like no I'd take that off dad and I'm like why he goes oh um the kids will bag me because I ride a dirt bike I'm like what why would they bag that that's sick and yeah. he's like no that I used to get bullied at kinder because I rode a dirt bike and he has silver teeth because his teeth never the enamel never grew so he's got like a full silver grill and I don't know if you ever noticed that, I haven't noticed that. And he's got the long blonde hair and he wears the earring and like he was four when he got that earring and he's like, oh, dad, I don't want to get teased. At kinder, he was thinking that. <coughs> and I was like, bro, you're wearing an earring yeah. and you're going to claim it and if anyone gives you shit, you stand up for yourself. Mm. And you question them. Why? Why? Yeah. Why? Why is it? Like he, he goes, oh, and this sounds horrible. Like the things that he was told as a kid in kinder, I was like, man, like that's they, they shouldn't be saying this stuff, mm. you know? And so- I want him to be him, whether yeah. it's wearing his flame fist socks that he walks around the streets. And but it's a conversation starter. Everyone yeah. likes like, and I don't mean this in an arrogant way, but people stop and stare at that kid because mm. he'll roll in with flame socks pulled up, and he does his own deal. Do like thing. I get him the stuff, and but he's the one that rocks it. Yeah, <laughs> and, and he loves it. And he loves it, man. Like he's just his own little character, and like that's why I don't care about the motorbikes and the snowboarding or the. BMX, whatever he does, um, or the surfing. As long as he's having fun, man, that's just a bonus. I just yeah. want him to be a cool kid that has fun. I love that. I feel like a lot of parents will listen to this and, yeah, take some good stuff out of it because, yeah, doing a great job with him. He's been on his best behavior. He's sitting actually, over on the couch for an he hour. He even know. And had <laughs> we're like, oh, there's no way he's going to sit still, but we haven't heard a peep from him. So we will wrap it up right about now but there's one question i always finish good humans podcast with and yeah. that's what does being a good human mean to josh woody um i think being kind of obviously kind to other people but being yourself because mm. i think it really if you be yourself to enough people they'll start because i think i feel like everyone tries to be something that they say on instagram or social media where if you just be yourself i think that can trigger people to start looking inside themselves to mm. be the person they really are instead of a persona. And I think being kind to people, like I, I went through a pretty angry stage as a kid with my injury where I just wanted to fight everyone. And I told you, like I used yeah. to get in more fights than anyone in my wheelchair and when I was on crutches because I wouldn't take shit. And now like I've looked at more, I'd rather be kind 
I still don't take shit, but like yeah, you, yeah. you want to be kind to people be because to you don't know people. what everyone's going yeah. through. And I think that being a good human is just being yourself, but bringing a better part out of someone else too. Mm. And it's rewarding. Yeah. Like, man, meeting you, you brought something out of me that had been dormant for three years. Mm. Um, or maybe even longer, even when I was doing the end of my talks. Like, I kind of just, I was focused more on money because I had a little son. And I wasn't enjoying my talks. Mm. But when I didn't care about the money, the talks were fun. Yeah. So I think, you know, focusing on being that part of me is better. He's starting to, the little monkey's starting to wake yeah, up a bit. He's starting to get a bit of movement over in the couch. I always analogy of him is just that that monkey in the zoo that throws shit at you. I think that's my kid. Like he just doesn't stop bouncing off walls. And He's good. Yeah, he's a good He's very kid. good. But anyone who's um, listened all the way to the end here, big thank you. <sighs> Uh, Josh's story has inspired me so much and it's been an absolute privilege for you to share it on this platform. If you learn anything new today or you want to get more um, info on Josh or AJ, what's the best way to do that? Um, well, AJ's got his own little social media, which is AJ Woody's World, and yeah. I'm just Josh Woody. That's normally I'm hopeless with emails. So yeah. normally I'll, just, I'll leave in the show notes yeah, both of your instances. That's basically the best way to contact us. Yeah, and you can have a good little check out of what the boys are up to. Tag us both in your social media if you enjoyed this chat and think more people can learn from it because I'm sure there will be plenty. But, man, thanks for jumping on Good Thank Humans. Thank you. Thanks, bro. Cheers, bro. Appreciate it. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.